0: that we are able to instantly just just receive because you give it so freely. There's a love that you initiate. We don't need to do anything to receive your love that Lord your love calls us to, uh, to make a response. So God as we uh, move through today's message as we listen to your word, we pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer Amen. <laughs> so this is week two in our uh, series that we're we'll called uh, Questions or Got Questions. And, and last week we asked uh, a, a couple of questions one about pets and one about what does it mean to be made in the image of God. And, and I'll tell you, I've gotten a lot of, of, of good responses. Nobody's. Uh, put me uh, up against a uh, stake and tried to burn me or anything with what I said last week, but got a lot of positive comments, and, and thank you for, for listening and, and being a part of that. You know, somebody asked to wish that uh, we did a, this a lot more, and maybe we'll bring this back at, at a, another time, but man, this is difficult. Uh, th- th- and it's difficult. It's fun. I'm enjoying doing the digging and, and being doing this series, but I was sitting there thinking about it as I was preparing for today, and I thought about uh, me growing up at the dinner table. And there were several times, and, and I, I will say several times, that my mom or my dad would have to reach over and just slap me on the back several times because I put way too much food in my mouth. You know, usually even with, with, with steak, I would just take a big old giant piece of steak, shove it in there, And the next thing I know, I'm choking because I had way too much or I didn't chew it properly. I know Tracy's even had to do that once. Um, And I'm a lot older now than I was growing up. But that's how I feel about today's message. I feel like that I may have extended myself just a little bit too much. So please allow a little grace. And if I start choking up here, just come on up and just slap me on the back and... No, we had uh, two questions that I wanted to tackle today. This is this is the first one. The pastor who subbed for you when you were gone a few weeks back said, "Methodists do not believe that once saved, always saved." Would you comment on that statement? I was shocked with that and am asking for clarification. So, once saved, always saved. That is a, a phrase that we hear a lot in, in, in Christianity, and there's not a short answer to that question as I started to dig, but let me give you a little bit about where once saved, always saved comes from. That is a, a, a strain of... Of Calvinist theology, John Calvin was uh, one of the reformers of the church, and uh, a lot of branches of churches uh, refer to Calvinist theology as their belief system. And inside of Calvinist, of uh, the theology, there there are five pillars, normally called. Tulip. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be kind of slipping through here and not trying to go through all of them, but uh, it's called TULIP. And the last one is called Perseverance of the Saints. And the Perseverance of the Saints is where this phrase, once save, always save, comes from. A- and, and that phrase really isn't a part, or what, what I understand isn't a part of what classic Calvinism talks about. Uh, It's more of an Americanized view of this last pillar of of Calvinism. And it's turned into a once saved, always saved mentality. And what that means, or the way that I understand it, it means that God is the primary actor uh, of everything that goes on. And even when it comes to our salvation, it is God that is doing that act. A- and what that means is that we flow along with what God is doing and around us. Now, for United Methodist and for the Wesleyan view of things, we are more Armenian. And, and I could have gone a little bit more into that, but I'm not. But Armenians, they are not necessarily, they, they do not follow that view uh, of Calvinist thought of once saved always saved now now don't don't get upset whenever I say that because what Wesleyans and Methodists believe is that yes God is the primary actor towards salvation you know uh, we cannot do anything to earn God's love or or God's grace however the where we differ is that, we believe that we as humans, we participate in what God is doing in, around the world. That that God starts the act and then we in faithful response follow along. And we say that we are following and living and doing what God has called us to do. The best example that I can give of this through scripture is a parable that probably most of us are familiar with, and that is the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. If you're familiar with this parable, what happens is that this son decides that he has everything he needs from his father, so he is going to take his part of the inheritance, and he's going to take off, and he's going to live his life however he wants to live. But as he gets himself separated from the Father, separated from the one who, who provides for him, he realizes that things aren't quite as well as, as he thought it would be, that all of the stuff that he had, all of the, the, the tangible things weren't really keeping him steadfast. So what does the son do? He picks up and he runs back home. And if you're familiar with the story, the son doesn't have to go up to the front door and knock on the door and and wait for the father to answer the door and go, oh, it's you. Yeah, go ahead and come on in. But the way that the parable talks about is that the father sees the son from a distance and he takes off running and he goes to where the son is is Uh, the the song that we sang reckless love i I think that kind of talks about this type of love god comes to us wherever we are and god accepts us and, and, and wraps us back in his loving arms now did the son deserve any of that did the son earn any of that no he took all that he had and he squandered that just like we do in our lives sometimes too we have God's grace poured lavishly upon us. But there are times where, where you have and where I have just taken that grace and we said, you know what, I just don't need that right now. I'll, I'll, I'll just let that, let that go. And, and just like the parable, the father didn't stop the son from going. And if we believe in free will, and if we believe that God's grace is free and available for all, we also must believe that, you know, if we decide to turn away from God's grace, God's going to say, you know, this is your decision. If you want to turn away from me, you can. However, always know that I am here for you. Now, the one place where John Wesley uh, bends away from the true Armenian thought of, of this type of losing your salvation, if you will, is that the more traditional Armenian thought says that once you, uh, if you accept God as your Lord and Savior and you turn from him, then you can't come back. But John Wesley was adamant in his belief that you can always turn back to God. You can always make the decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Again, In one of his sermons, uh, (laughs) titled appropriately, A Call to Backsliders, he says this. And I'll I'll, I'll give John Wesley uh, the last word on this question this morning. John Wesley writes, For those who feel the remembrance of their sins is grievous unto them, the burden of them intolerable. We set before these an open door of hope. Let them go in and give thanks unto the Lord. Let them know that the Lord is gracious and merciful, long-suffering and of great goodness. Look how high the heavens are from the earth. So far will he have set their sins from them. He will not always be chiding, neither keep of his anger forever. Only settle it in your heart. I will give all for all and the offering shall be accepted. So give him all your heart. Let all that is within you continually cry out, Thou art my God, and I will thank thee. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. This God is my God forever and ever. He shall be my guide even unto death. So that's my quick hit on once saved, always saved. As always, you know where to get a hold of me. If you have more questions, please uh, ask. Okay, our second question. Did the sacrifice made by Jesus wipe away the old laws such as not eating pork, shellfish, and bottom feeders as well as other mosaic laws? Or should we still be trying to uphold all of the some odd 600-plus laws? Like I said, right now I feel like I'm choking, that I've just taken on way too much for, for, for one, one message. So if, if we look in Scripture, we see that there are actually about 613 laws that are, are prescribed uh, in uh, Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament, Now, before we really get into these laws, we need to see what Jesus says about them. And our scripture uh, this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, don't even begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until then, until everything there becomes a reality. Therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven that whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I say to you, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Man, that's tough, isn't it? But I think that's part of the point of what Jesus is trying to get a across here. That... Following the law to every, every, even the smallest stroke of the pen is difficult. He was pointing to the teachings of, of the Pharisees at the time. You know, we hear words where Jesus talks about how they do everything. They wash the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is dirty and filthy. You know that, that They're like whitewashed tombs where on the outside the tombs look beautiful, but on the inside you have all of that death and decay. Jesus is taking a look at the law, and he's not only just saying that the law must be upheld, but if we look later in Jesus's teachings, even after these words, we see that for some of the laws, Jesus even strengthens them and makes them even more difficult to follow, but we'll get to that here in a second. So, as I said, there are 613 laws that are written in the Torah. We can look at these laws divided up into three different sections. The first sections of law are the ceremonial laws. And the ceremonial laws, they deal with the temple and and how to... Uh, how to handle uh, different aspects of, of worship. Part of it has to do with, with the food that we eat. There's questions about the shellfish and, and pork. All of that was a part of the ceremonial laws. And people believe that, uh, the scholars believe that when Jesus died on the cross, in, in Matthew 25 we hear the word about how the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and because the curtain was torn in two at that time, that was saying that Christ fulfilled all of the ceremonial laws. But as we move into the New Testament, you had these good uh, followers of Jesus Christ who were also very good and strict following Jews that still dealt with these issues. They w- they were wondering exactly how they were to follow. And, and walk the ways of Christ holding on to the traditions of their belief system. One of the stories that I'm familiar with, and you may be familiar with too, is the story of Peter as he had this dream where this big sheet came down from heaven, and inside of the, heaven, inside of the sheet there were a lot of unclean animals, animals that the Jewish people were forbidden to eat. And as the sheet came down two or three times, Peter heard this word that he was to go meet with a Gentile by the name of Cornelius and b- share in table fellowship with him. In other words, eat these food that, that one time the Jews believed were unclean. And Peter refused to do that. He said, there's no way that I'm going to let something unclean touch my lips but God still persisted and, and Peter went and had fellowship with Cornelius Jesus even earlier in the Gospels he talked about how that it's not the things that are that we take in that makes us unclean but it's those things that come out of us that is unclean so the next set of laws that we have are the civil laws and that Basically deals with the relationships of the Israeli people. How are they supposed to be set apart from all of the other tribes that that were around Israel at the time? And scholars believe that when the uh, Jews uh, dismissed Jesus or said that he was not the Messiah, that took care or that broke that covenant of the ser- the ceremony. The civil laws, that those did not need to be followed. Now, we have a lot of good civil laws that are in Scripture that we still follow today because, well, they're good things to do. And then the last section of laws are the moral laws. And the moral laws are the ones that we have a lot of wrestling around even today. But when we take a look at the moral laws, they give us a view and a picture of who God is. It is through the moral laws that that Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, he not only affirmed those moral laws in the Sermon on the Mount, but he also took moments to to strengthen them, to make them even so hard to follow that I believe it helps us to believe that it is God that that brings his love and grace to us. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, rely on him for our salvation. Laws as, as strict as you have heard it say that you are not to murder someone, but I say that even if you hate someone in your heart, you have committed murder. When we talk about adultery, that, y- that it says that when you commit adultery, it, it's more than just the, the physical act of committing Adultery is that if you even look at someone in a way that you are committing adultery in your heart. See, these laws together make it to where it's hard to follow. It's hard to to really to, to hold on to those, which means that we must allow God's grace to be a part of who we are and, and to embrace that. Now, it's important, and I believe Wesley would even say that it's important to take a look at the laws and and hold on to them because what they do, they help us and they remind us every day that we are sinners, every day that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to earn God's grace and favor. But when we look at another commandment, and this is a commandment that Jesus gives as he is gathering with his disciples towards the end. Before he is brought in uh, for, for a crime and for uh, execution, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I give you a new commandment to love each other just as I have loved you. So you also must love each other. And this is... It's how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. My friends, if there is a commandment that I feel like that we, as God's people, fail to uphold, it's that commandment right there. The commandment that Jesus gave us before he took our sins with him to the cross to to love one another. You know, I, I see time and time again through through news articles, through posts on social media, the way that we talk about one another when we feel like maybe somebody's not listening. That we fail to love others as Christ has loved us. That doesn't mean that those old laws are things that we just toss aside and we don't have to pay attention to anymore. But I think with those laws, the, the community laws, the, the civil laws and the moral laws, and with that final law, that, that commandment that Jesus gives us, we realize how imperfect we are. And, and we run away from the God who, who loves us and cares for us but the good news my friends is that no matter how far we run no matter how much we try to ignore who God is in our lives when we turn and when we look down the road we don't just see our father's house down the road but we see our father running to us with open arms saying welcome back child you are mine. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray that as we continue to look through questions that we have, that first and foremost, we see your love and grace through them. We see the power that you have given us through grace. Through grace the grace that calls us and leads us the grace that that justifies us and the grace that strengthens us so that we may then share all your good works with others god we help we ask that you help us to to fulfill the commands that you have given us especially the command to love you with our whole heart soul and mind and the command to love our neighbors as ourselves. As we look out into the world around us, we see a world that is lacking love and grace. Help us to be the light that shares that grace with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.